kind of passed over that hurriedly, and a couple of you have asked questions on it, and one question was, well, do I have to feel emotional every time I tell her that I love her? In other words, do I have to be in a romantic mood? You remember the triangle that I used the other evening, uh, and the two sides of the triangle stemming from the love angle, one going up toward the, ma- the, the wedlock angle and the other one going toward the sex angle? The one going up toward the wedlock was responsibility and faithfulness. The one going toward the sex angle was tenderness and emotion. Well, now, Carol and I have discussed this matter of love over a period of years, and we have sort of come to the conclusion together that there are really two kinds of love that, that grow out of that angle. And the one going toward the sex angle is the emotional the the romantic the when you're out in the evening and the moon is bright and she says isn't that a beautiful moon and you think it's bright enough to play golf by um, that 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 that's one kind and that fluctuates depending upon the situation and the circumstances under which you find yourself the other kind is a deep deep seated love relationship that develops between a man and a woman over a period of time and it grows deeper and stronger as the years go by it is a fact well now when you tell your wife you love her you can do it on either basis if you happen to be in a romantic mood and the setting is right and you say i love you then it may be a little bit gushy and mushy but on the other hand, if she's cooking dinner and you walk by and you just happen to put your arm around her and you say, honey, I love you, that's from the other side. Not any particular emotion involved in it, but it is a fact. And it doesn't really make any difference to her. She loves to hear it either way. But don't be like the guy who got fed up with hearing his wife nag him about telling her that he loved her. And he says, good night, we've been married for 20 years. Don't you know by this time that I love you? I'm going to get a plaque and put it up over the sink that says, I love you. Well, that's not the point. He, you know, he really hasn't gotten the picture yet, even after 20 years. It, and by the way, gals, um, some of you might need to develop the same habit. To re- we like to hear it once in a while, too, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, any other amens on that? <laughs> okay. Harold Blake Walker writes a column in the Chicago Tribune on a Sunday edition, and from time to time he comes up with something good. That is, from time to time. Uh, Carol handed this to me the other day. He says this. He's starting out the article. He says, Family life holds together in the thin thread of praise and commendation. Unhappily, we have a way of withholding expressions of appreciation and gratitude from those nearest to us. In Vermont, so the story runs, a tight-lipped husband finally said to his wife, When I think of how much you have meant to me all these years, it is almost more than I can do sometimes to keep from telling you so. Well, I, 
I hope none of you guys are in that boat. Now, let me kind of finish up where I left off yesterday and touch on about three nevers that you guys should take into consideration, and one, at least, of them you wives should consider, too. And that's the first one. Several years ago, Carol and I, well, it was while we were in seminary, and we, we spent a summer out in California. This was after we'd been married about two years. And we spent a summer in California, and we worked with a pastor and his wife that I had known for a number of years, and they were a lovely couple. And over the period of the summer, we spent a great deal of time with them, and about halfway through the summer, we came to the realization that they had a very unusual relationship with each other, and especially on the communications level. And one thing that we noticed that they never did in jest or in kidding with one another, and they, they, they kidded one another, but one, one way that they never did any kidding with each other between the two of them or in any other form or fashion was they never used sarcasm with one another. Now, Carol and I learned a very vivid lesson because over the period of years that we had gone together before we were married and the two years that we had been married, we had begun to allow to creep into our joking and jesting with one another a sarcastic way of doing it. And at times it got pretty sharp because that's the way sarcasm is, isn't it? It, it may be little and infinitesimal at first, but pretty soon you begin to discover that it is really a good way to get the needle in in a subtle way with some meaning and feeling behind it. And it's a trap. We have a family that visits us from time to time, and we, we have seen in, in the family between brother and sister and the two kids and mom and dad, and even the grandmother at times gets involved in it, sarcastic slams and remarks that are made. And boy, sometimes it is really barbed. And it is a habit of life which they are, they, they are unconscious of. It's developed over a period of years. So let me encourage you, those of you who are just getting started in this marriage game, and if there are those of you here who are older in the game and you've caught yourself in this trap, make it a commitment before the Lord to drop it because it is a bad habit. Never use sarcasm with one another. Number two, never criticize or correct her in public. Husband and wife have been invited out to friends for dinner. As they're leaving, the husband turns to the host and he says, Thanks for inviting us over. This is such a welcome change from TV dinners. <laughs> Lovely. Or, uh, you better tell me, Jenny couldn't, couldn't get, could get lost with a police escort. Now, Carol has, she is the daughter of a writer. Her mom has written several books. And I have discovered that with the few writer friends that I have, they have a tendency to exaggerate. And so Carol has kind of picked this habit up from her mom. And uh, 
it it kind of crops out once in a while, like you know, 95% of the time we're always right and things like that. Well, now that I have learned to live with that, and I love her, but I don't correct her in public. I used to, but I don't anymore. You know, we had a we had a wingding, and there were just a few under a thousand people there. Well, when she tells the story, though, it's just kind of a few over a thousand. So what? What difference does it make whether it's a few over a thousand or a few under a thousand? Nobody cares and nobody knows. But if you let that type of thing get you uptight and you start correcting her, or you gals the same way with him, he starts to tell a story and he, he gets a little detail that you're so conscious of just a little bit out of whack. And so you say, well, no, honey, it really wasn't that way. It was this way. And you do that about three times, and then who ends up telling the story? And then when you get home, you may end up having one of those 1 o'clock a.m. sessions, you know. <laughs> Never correct each other in public. Shed has a bit to say on that on page 61 in his little book here. It's a solemnly swear type of thing. If I can find it. Yeah. Neither by day or by night will I ever cut you down in company. Not before my family, your family, our family. Not before friends, acquaintances, strangers. When you are with me or behind your back. Never by wise crack or snide remark or in any manner do I intend to be anything other than 100% loyal. Now, see, I am the president of the Carol Mayhall Fan Club. I don't know whether there are any other members or not, but I am the president, and um, the reason for that is not because she's such a good cook or because she is such a great housewife and takes care of the homes in such a wonderful way or because she's such a great mother or because she's got such a good ministry or can relate to gals so effectively. That isn't the reason that I am the president of the Carol Mayhall Fan Club. The reason is because I love her. And I am a booster of Carol Mayhall. And I work hard at that all the time. And she does of me. And especially in public. Now, in our day and age, we've gotten kind of loose and, and we don't think that the old things like uh, walking on the street side of the curb or the sidewalk, the curb side of the sidewalk with our wives, it's, you know, some, some guys don't even, they're not even aware of the fact that that's, that's kind of a nice thing to do. And uh, so when we get out in public, with our women sometimes, we neglect the little things that can really make the difference. And uh, I could go into some things, but Shed says it so beautifully here that I'd like to just read you, and it'll take about uh, two or three minutes. He says, here is a list. This is when you're with your wife in public. When you enter the room, take her arm and come in smiling. You look happy, she will. And God knows the world needs encouragement. <laughs> Secondly, walk proud. Act like you're thinking. 
How could I be so fortunate as to have this woman on my arm? Okay? Say something nice when you introduce her. You know, be imaginative, guys. This is my first wife. <laughs> Say something nice when you introduce her. I mean about her. This is a, this is a good practice. It fits and li- it lifts her spirits. If you make her feel good, you feel good also. When you sit down to dinner, hold her chair. Now, here's a good one. Then pat her on the shoulder and smile. Keep smiling till she looks up. Soon she'll catch on and it becomes a ritual. This is a very nice thing. When the conversation lags, ask her a question. Be sure you choose one she can answer. (laughs) Make it one of her favorite subjects and always wait for a reply. Never forget, smart people make others feel smart. Six, never, and I mean never, fuss over little points in her story. Who cares whether the roses were true pink or only a faded red? Seven, after dinner, if you get separated, look her up once in a while. Be sure she's pleasantly situated. Tell her you missed her, and is she all right? Now, we really blow it on that one, don't we? Eight, when you're ready to go, hold her coat, take her arm, and open the car door for her. Now, guys, that that is such an easy thing to do, and it is such a tremendous way to win points, and it costs so little but how often we neglect it. You know, we're old married been now. We've been going on it for two years now. Great day. She knows I love her. On the way home, take her hand, tell her how proud you were to have her along. Good opportunity to tell her you love her too. Now here's one that, that kind of follows in the wake of all of this. And from time to time, I try to do this. Sometime when you're with her mother alone, tell her how much you appreciate her daughter. No woman alive could keep this to herself. (laughs) And And nothing does more for your wife than a compliment coming in sideways like that. Okay. Now, just one other never. Never compare her unfavorably with other women. Any woman. And especially your mother. Regarding her looks, her cooking, her housekeeping, her entertaining, her clothes, her hairstyle, just never do it. One of the worst things that you can do is something that that I almost did. I came pretty close, I think, honey, but I don't think I quite went over the the borderline. Uh, was early in our marriage, I, I made reference to my mom's apple dumplings because she really did used to make apple dumplings. They were terrific, you know. And I almost came out with a comparison on that one time between something Carol had fixed and what my mom used to do, and I caught myself right in the middle of it. And so I've been very conscious of it ever since. One other point. 
overlooking little things. Now, I'm sure that those of you who are here who've been married a few years, you've learned how to overcome this, but it can be a real problem in the early days of your marriage or even in your courtship if you let the little things that bug you about her or the little things that bug you about him begin to irritate and gnaw on you. And when Carol and I were going together and we'd gotten engaged, we found that these this was happening with us. And so we went to an, a gentleman that we respected quite highly, Dr. Brooks at uh, Wheaton College, and we, we poured out this problem to him and asked him for his advice and counsel. And he gave us some very sound advice, and we have never forgotten it. And it went something like this. He says, down through the years, if I took every little thing that annoyed me about Mrs. Brooks and let it build up inside, he says, we would have been divorced years ago. But he says, I have learned to take those and forget them and commit them and love her in spite of it. And the same thing is true in in her looking at me. Now, is it kind of warm in here? Can we open a door or something, please? Or a window or... In the house that we lived in before the one we're now in, um, we had in our bedroom sliding closet doors. And it was one of these ones where you slide the door this way and you couldn't get in over here. And if you slide it this way, you couldn't get in over here. You know, it was amazing how often Carol and I would get to the closet at the same time. And her clothes were on this side and mine were here. You know, that used to bug me. Good night. Can't she do any better timing than that? You know? Or another thing, I would go to my side of the closet and I'd go to slam the door open and it, it wouldn't go all the way open. It'd only open about halfway and I'd push and then I'd look over on the other side and down on the other end were a couple of pair of shoes and a pair of slippers there that hadn't been quite pushed into the closet far enough, you know, so I'd walk over and <laughs> give it a kick like that. Or how, guys, how do you like stepping into the shower? You know, you kind of reach in there and you start to turn the hot water faucet on and instead of getting a hold of a faucet, your hand clutches a wet, damp, cold washcloth hanging on the faucet. What a lovely way to start a warm shower, huh? Well, or it is beyond my comprehension how, in the name of heaven, I can wear two socks all day long, take them off, throw them in the dirty clothes, and the next time I go back to put the same pair of socks on in my drawer is only one. <laughs> but somewhere between the dirty clothes bag and the washing machine and the dryer in my drawer, one sock got lost. Now, these are the types of little things that can irritate and gnaw away unless you learn how to either overlook them or resolve them together. Now, the latter one, Carol has worked out a beautiful plan as to how to resolve that one. She just doesn't put one sock back in my drawer. She waits until it shows up again before it gets back there. <laughs> I never miss it. The soggy washcloth, she... She finds another place to hang it now. We moved into a new house, so we don't have the closet problem any longer. So, you know. But don't let these things gnaw on you. Find a way to solve them or just, you know, well, man, that's the way he is. 
or that's the way she is. And man, you know, I think it's kind of funny. You can make a joke out of it, or you can let it grow into a problem. Okay, uh, I think I better quit and let my wife come up. Probably the um, the greatest single problem in the marriage relationship is the area of communications. And uh, Carol's going to speak to that, and then I'll make a few comments on it as well. So, honey, come on. I won't tell you all the things about him. (laughs) So often, we think we're communicating when we're really not. We're kind of like the new uh, kindergarten teacher who came to her class the very first day of school And she said to her class, now, if anyone has to go to the bathroom, just raise your hand. And a puzzled little voice came from the back of the room. But teacher, how will that help? (laughs) (laughs) So often we think we're communicating (laughs) when we're not. The two words, information and communication, are often used interchangeably, but they signify quite different things. Information is giving out. Communication is getting through. And we're interested in getting through. Now, Ephesians 4.15, to me, is the key to this whole thing on communication. It says, as you know, rather speaking, that's communicating, the truth, that's honesty, in love, that's how to do it. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ. Now, there's so much to that that if we could just burn that on our foreheads and in our hearts, we would be way ahead of the game. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32 goes on to say, Don't use bad language. Say only what is good and helpful to those you are talking to, and will give them a blessing. Stop being mean, bad-tempered, and angry. Quarreling, harsh words, and dislike of others should have no place in your lives. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you, because you belong to Christ. Someone has once said that you can't know anyone unless you communicate with them. You can't love anyone you don't know. Therefore, the depth of love existing between a husband and a wife will largely depend on the amount and depth of their communication. And yet so often you and I know that when you ask an engaged couple what attracted them to each other, Generally speaking, they'll say, well, we can communicate so well. We share so well. We can talk about anything and everything. And yet a few years later, you talk to that same couple and you find that they're not talking. They're not really communicating. A very wise man said that sometimes in the first year of marriage, you come and you you hit a snag in some area of your communication. 
and you find that sort of a sore spot. So you stop talking about it. And the next year you find another sore spot. And so you stop talking about that. And ten years later, you're simply not talking. And all of us have seen marriages just exactly like that. Do you know that the difference between happiness and unhappiness is not that one marriage has less problems than another, but rather that one has learned the art of talking things over. Harmony comes and love is strengthened by a frank and honest discussion of differences. And we long for this, don't we? I guess maybe, well, I shouldn't say women more than men, but women have other ways of dealing with it. You see, a woman's need for a close relationship, Cecil Osborne says, is so great that if she cannot achieve it in one way, she will instinctively try another. If her efforts at communication are balked by the husband's silence, she has all sorts of alternatives at her disposal. She may become angry over a trifle, or accusatory, or depressed. In an almost frantic attempt, he says, to force some kind of communication, she will push any button on his control panel. If he finally erupts with anger, she will feel that at least she has gotten some response. And this is true. At a totally unconscious level, the wife is saying, I'd like first-class love. If I cannot have that, I'll settle for attention. If I fail to get your attention, I'll get your sympathy. If that fails, I'll get you where it hurts. I'll have an accident or a symptom. And if you evaluate some of the marriages that you are counseling with, you may see that very thing. And of course, one thing a wife does to get attention is we'll nag. We start to nag. And um, one such wife was described as a one-woman grievance committee always in session. <laughs> the story is told of a soldier who had such a nagging wife that he asked to be transferred to the front to get away from her. And so, uh, but he kept getting these terrible nagging letters. So finally he wrote back to her and he said, can't you let me fight this war in peace? <laughs> But there's a true story of a man in Milwaukee who committed suicide and left a two-word suicide note. And the, the suicide note said, you won. Well, sometimes we think we're communicating and we're not. A minister had to go to a nearby city to conduct a funeral. He asked his wife to go along with him. If you want me to, she said. Well, the man said after a moment of silence, I'll go alone then. Each had been needlessly disappointed. The husband wanted his wife with him and hoped she would offer to accompany him. He wanted to go, but not sure he, uh, she wanted to go, but not sure he really meant the invitation. She tossed the decision to him. He assumed she was turning him down. She assumed he didn't need her support. And so a couple who wanted to express their mutual love and need wound up feeling that each had been rejected from the, for the other. Now, you know, this happens all the time, doesn't it, with us. Two things here. The wife did not understand the differences that we talked about yesterday. She didn't understand that a man, her husband wouldn't have asked her if he hadn't wanted her to go because he speaks in facts, and she didn't understand that. And she wanted the reassurance. She was looking for coded messages. She was looking for a feeling 
And uh, he didn't know that. And so each were needlessly disappointed. She talked in coded messages. And we do this. We wives do this. It's something we need to work on. It's something I need to work on. And I am working on it. I haven't gotten it left yet, but I'm working on it. But we wives have very effective ways of blocking communication. And are probably our biggest trick or our biggest problem with ourselves is withdrawing. You husbands say something that may or may not have been meant to hurt us. Probably not. We read into what you said, but we don't ask you what you meant. And so we, uh, we build a wall. And we withdraw into our own hurt little selves. Phyllis McGinley puts it this way. She says, sticks and stones are hard on bones, aimed with angry art. Words can sting like anything, but silence breaks the heart. Well, of course, there are times to speak and there are times to be quiet. But um, there are, this should never be. The withdrawing of ourselves and not bringing, bringing it out in the open. It'll always come up sometime, maybe four or five years later, in a really big problem. But it'll come out. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes what you're feeling is absolutely ridiculous, and you need to take these things to God in prayer. All of them. I'm hoping you understand that as the whole basis of this. Constant communication with the Lord, who can handle these things, and some of them he'll just dissolve. But so many of these things, and I won't say 90%, because Jack will say I just made that statistic up and I did. Um, <laughs> but anyway, a great many <laughs> of these things, if we brought them out in the open, right at the basic level, we would be able to handle and we would be able to deal with that without defeating our husbands. You see, a lot of times when we wives don't tell you how we really feel, for two reasons. One is because we have a misconception of what submission really means, and I'll talk about that in a minute. And the other is because we're afraid we'll hurt you. Of course, by the time it comes out, we really hurt you, because then we defeat you. Whereas if we could bring it out in this very basic level right when it happens, it wouldn't be a defeating thing. It would be an understanding thing. And it would be resolving a conflict right there. And I'll show you what I mean in a minute. So we need to work at that angle, we wise, of talking about it right here. You men need to work at um, deciphering what we're really trying to say. Because we'll never solve this completely. You see, we do think on two different wavelengths. And God meant it, as we said yesterday, to be that way so that we'll complement each other. And our job is not to try to think on the same wavelength, but rather, as we think on two different wavelengths, to constantly bring those together in an understanding sort of relationship. Now, when I say you need to work at seeing what the real question is, uh, I'll read you a little chapter here and show you what I mean. This is from Habitations of Dragons by Keith Miller. And it's a chapter called To Tell the Truth. Several years ago, when I was a new Christian, I decided I would try to be absolutely honest with my wife. 
We had just moved to a new town and had a good many extra expenses. This transition was making us a little nervous and frantic around the house. In the midst of everything, Mary Ellen went out and bought a new dress on sale, which she could not return. Buying something new sometimes has a soothing effect on her nerves, and understanding this, I was not too surprised or upset. But when she tried the dress on and asked me how I liked it, I told her I had seen a girl on First Street wearing one just like it that same day. First Street is a very unsavory part of the city. (laughs) I said the dress was okay, but seeing a cheap-looking girl in one just like it spoiled it for me, which was true. She just glared at me and never wore the dress. I was furious. We could not afford it anyway, but to buy the dress and not wear it was really terrible. But I learned something that day. Christian honesty does not mean that I am obligated to express every thought that passes through my mind. I must learn to hear the real question someone is asking and answer that question. No, this is true with our work too, isn't it? Not just the one phrased by outward words. This was the amazing genius of Jesus' conversation with people. He always saw through their superficial conversation to the real questions they were asking and dealt with them. Mary Ellen had been wanting to know at a deep level, am I attractive to you? Is it all right that I impulsively bought this dress just because I feel frantic and dowdy right now? Do you love me? And parenthetically, let me say that almost every single time, then, that we get upset with you, what we are really seeking is a reassurance of your love. And if you could remember that, you would solve a great many problems. Someone said that the best way to clinch an argument is to take her in your arms. So remember that. These were the real woman questions, he goes on to say, and the true answer to all of them was yes. But because of my insensitivity, I had answered the superficial question correctly with legalistic honesty. But by so doing, I had said no to her real question. So this is what you need to work on, man. You need to work at seeing underneath. And while we need to work at trying to decode our hidden messages in this method of communication, you need to work at really seeing what we're trying to say. Now, for you wives, let me tell you what I mean by communicating on this basic level. Well, both of us. We had a couple in our home not too long ago who we are quite close to. And uh, they were around several days and had a chance to observe Jack and me. And, And one morning, this wife and I were standing in the kitchen and Jack came in. And Jack said to me, uh, where are my keys? And I said, they're in the drawer. And he said, no, those are your keys. And I said, no, they're your keys. And we had this little thing going back and forth. You know, I had just had a new set made. So I knew they were his keys. Well, anyway, so he said, okay. And so he went out. And this wife turned to me and she said, uh, would you pray for me? And I said, uh, well, I'd be happy to, but what do you want me to pray? And she said, well, every time... My husband would come in and ask me a question like Jack just asked you. He sounds angry. And I said, uh, does he sound angry or is he angry? Now, what do you think she said? 
I don't know. She'd never asked him. And why do you identify with that? <laughs> I do. I mean, there have been millions of times that I haven't asked. And all she would have had to do. Yeah, no. <laughs> had to do is to say are you angry he could have said no or yes as the case may be if he had said no it would have communicated to him that he sounded angry to her and maybe he better work on his voice um, if he, he but it would have given her understanding in this if he had said yes her next question on this very basic level would be, are you mad at me? Well, he might have been mad because he just kicked over the trash can. You know. And he could have said that. She never asked him. And so through the months and the years, this had built up. And every time he asked her a question, he sounded angry to her. Now, guys, I'm, I'm really trying to work on this. Because there are many times when I know, because Jack speaks on a fact level, and I am looking for what that really means, I misinterpret. But instead of asking, I will brood over it. Now, what did he really mean by that? And I'll come to a wrong conclusion. And I can give you an example of that. A few years ago, we were uh, on a vacation. We had a few days together. And the next to the last day of our vacation... Beautiful day. And I was eagerly looking forward to just having this whole day with my sweetheart. And Jack said, Boy, I wish I was home. (laughs) And I didn't say anything. And for the next 15 minutes, I sat there. And I thought, He doesn't want to be with me. He... If he doesn't want to be with me, he really doesn't love me the way I want him to love me. Sob, sob. All of these walls. Well, of course, Jack reads me like a book. So 15 minutes later, he said, Honey, what's wrong? <laughs> well, 10 years ago, I, we would have gone through this whole routine of nothing. And... <laughs> Well, now, come on, tell me what's the matter. Nothing. No. <laughs> but I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> and so I said, well, I took what you said 15 minutes ago personally. He said, what did I say? <laughs> and so I told him. And he said, well, how do you know I didn't mean that? Well, I did know he didn't mean that, but nevertheless, I was taking it personally. And he had had something that he was thinking about that he really would have liked to have gotten done that day and you know, one of those things. It was perfectly logical. <laughs> well, this is what I mean. 
Now sometimes because we wives have been taught and taught to submit, and we should not let up on this. Most organizations don't teach this. And uh, we need to work at really teaching and, and being submissive. But I have had wives tell me that their idea of submission is never expressing a negative. And sometimes they think to their husbands, even asking a question about what he is doing is expressing a negative. And therefore, the whole area of their life is unknown to their husbands. They are not one. They are not one heart. They are not known to each other. Now, there are ways of expressing things without being negative, and this is one of the ways, by expressing it right at this basic level, by finding out before it brings, has this great big wall to break down. Then it's not destructive. So aim at communication. And there are a lot of rules that I don't have time to go into for, for uh, communication. But one, let me say that you've got to develop the climate for communication. And Jack talked about that yesterday. A climate of love and acceptance. See, I really am a nutty person. And and Jack accepts me as a nutty person. And, And he accepts me for all my faults, and I know that. And it frees me to be myself. And oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And we have developed over the years a climate of this acceptance and love so that we feel free to really communicate hard things and uh, and even negatives. Because he knows that I think he, I really do think he's the greatest man in the world. I'm not just saying that, I really think that. And so within that context, I can express a negative without him feeling threatened. But you aim at this, and and I might say parenthetically, everything he told the husbands yesterday, well, you you go ditto wives, okay? (coughs) Of course you tell them you love them. Every day. Ten times a day if you want to. And of course you tell them how great they are. Of course you try to do nice things for them. And I'll get to that maybe on the sex angle. Some goals in communication. We will aim to be best friends. Jack is my best friend. It takes working at, but it's possible. Since friendship is built on time spent together, we will have no less than one good visit a day together if possible. If he's home. At least once a week, we will go out together. I can't overemphasize how important this is. Some of you have dropped this habit. Now, together means not with another couple, even though that couple is a fun couple and it's not for ministry. Together is not with your children. Have special times with them. Together is you and your sweetheart. Out, and I don't care, Jack and I have been so broke sometimes that, you know, if we could afford a cup of cocoa, down the street that was pretty good sometimes we just go out to White Rock Lake and park that's pretty fun too (laughs) but you go out together on a date we find that you talk about things on a date that you never think 
to talk about at home. And, uh, you know, we have good times at home now. We, um, we just really have breakfast together all alone, and, and we have time to communicate there. But we find as we go out, we talk about entirely different things that we never thought to talk about at home and think the telephone's going to ring or there's going to be somebody interrupting. And we never say real heavy things to talk out on dates, but more fun things. And uh, this is just great. And, of course, we make it a goal to be honest all the way. Well, we need to work at this. Constantly, we need to work at this. Um, after Jack had been home all day, one week, I remember, he'd been home but not there. You know what I mean? Uh, we'd had meetings in our home all week. Uh, early morning, late at night, he was with other people. We had not had a chance to really communicate. We were to go, well, we went to a wedding, and we were invited to the wedding dinner, and we had accepted. And the next day, he was going someplace else. And we came home and uh, from the wedding, and he looked at me, and I was about in tears. And he said, what's the matter, honey? And I just said, oh, we just haven't any chance to talk. And he said, you're right, we're not going to go to the dinner. And I dissolved into tears. Because it was such a terrible thing to me to think of breaking a social engagement. And yet, with all my deeper innermost heart, I knew we did need to talk. And so uh, he said, we're going out to dinner. We're not going to go to the wedding supper. And so he took me up about a half hour's drive and I cried the whole way. And he, we got there, and he looked at me, and he says, Honey, are we going to be able to talk? <laughs> or should we go home? <laughs> and I said, I'm going to try. <laughs> and we did. And we had a beautiful time together. But this is what I mean, at working at it. So, and you never stop. We've been married 23 years. You never stop working at it. But that's what's fun. It's great. Rather speak the truth in love. Thank you, honey. Uh, we have the um, these little handouts that we'll give you at the end of the meeting on communications and things that. Uh, you, as a husband and wife, can either discuss together. This is a little booklet that I referred to the other evening. It's probably got a thousand topics or so that you can can talk about. And um, but I think the thing that you will find it either discuss together. This is a little booklet that I referred to the other evening. It's probably got a thousand topics or so that you can can talk about. And um, But I think the thing that you will find it the most helpful in is to give to people that you're working with in your area who are becoming engaged and to get them to go through this and discuss many of these things together because it will get them over a lot of hurdles that uh, some of us didn't have any counsel or advice on when we started and we had to learn the hard way or are still learning. So we'll give you those at the end. and it, it will help you in this whole area of communications. 
Well, I think Carol has covered enough on it to, uh, to go on to the next topic. After I told you yesterday what all we were going to cover today, somebody accused me of having an X-rated workshop going here. <laughs> And um, I probably need to tell you that this is the first time we have ever done this type of a workshop in this way. Um, usually at this point we divide the, the men and the women, and I take the men and Carol takes the women, and uh, <clears throat> that makes it a little less scary. And I will have to admit that I'm a little scared right now. Uh, I was hoping she would go longer. <laughs> but uh, let me ease into it gently. <laughs> Carol and I come from different kinds of homes. We both came from Christian backgrounds. Both of our parents knew the Lord and loved the Lord, and, and Jesus Christ was revered in our homes. But uh, what I mean that the difference was, was in the way that affection toward other members of the family was communicated and demonstrated. Now, in Carol's family, a great deal of affection openly was demonstrated among the members of the family kissing, hugging, this type of thing. I mean, it was a very open-handed type of uh, relationship that they demonstrated to one another. In fact, it is still that way. Uh, when from time to time at Christmas, for instance, uh, her sister and their family come down and spend Christmas, which as they did this last Christmas, they've got a, a boy who is now a junior in college, Mike, and uh, when he opens up a Christmas present, which we have given to him, what he does is he comes over and he gives Carol a kiss, and then he comes over and he gives me a kiss. Well, now, that's, that's, that's still a little hard for me to get used to. <laughs> but, you know, it, it is a very beautiful thing in their family, and it's just part of them. It's, it's that, it was that way. Now, in my home, everyone knew that we loved one another. There was never any doubt in my mind that my folks loved me or that my sister loved me or that I loved her and vice versa. But there was not that outward demonstration. There was very little kissing and hugging, for instance. Well, I have learned a great deal from Carol in that regard and we have discussed this from time to time as it relates to the navigators. And let me just kind of put a, a parenthetical little comment in here that relates to the nav home. We've learned that over the years, uh, we really don't know how to run a nav home. So we gave up trying. And we, but we did discover that we could run the Mayhall household pretty well. And of course, ever, for the last 15 years, we've had people living in our home. But it's not a, quote, navigator, unquote, home, as we normally think of it, because Carol and I have just, 
we've discovered that we just got to be ourselves. We cannot be something that we are not and get away with it. We become a fraud. And so we just kind of are our old sloppy selves, and we are just kind of our old affectionate selves. And so it's nothing for one of the gals living in our home to walk into the kitchen and find me smooching my wife. You know, I'm laying a kiss on her or something or giving her a peck on the cheek or something. And, and Paul Stanley, our bedroom door was open the other day and Paul Stanley walked in and I was kissing Carol and he said, oops, sorry, and went on down to the office. And, you know, well. Now... I am not telling you how to handle your relationship with your wife in this regard, but let me tell you this. The kids who have lived in our home, after they've moved out, or when they're ready to move out, or sometime later, I would say that about 99% of them, and I think that's a pretty accurate figure, honey. <laughs> have made a comment at one time or another to the effect that they have appreciated seeing our relationship as open as it was and have been, because it, in many cases it was the first time they had an opportunity to observe a Christian marriage relationship. And of course you know this as well as I do that a lot of the kids that we come into contact with have never seen a Christian home. They don't know what it's like. So let me encourage you to be yourself in your home. Don't try to be something you're not. Don't try to pretend. Don't put on a fraud. And if, you know, I, I realize there are limitations to what I'm talking about right now, but, but sh don't be afraid to show affection for one another. To, to show that you really do care. That there is a romance going on between the two of you. The navigators really aren't that staid. At least I hope not. Well, end of parenthesis. Someone has said that a happy sex relationship between a man and a woman who are married means that the sex aspect of the marriage relationship plays about a 10% role. But where there is unsatisfactory sex relationships between husband and wife, it can play a 90% part of the role because it, it, it affects so many other aspects of our relationship together. Now, Carol talked yesterday about the differences between a man and a woman. And when we get into this angle, there are really some amazing differences between a man and a woman, other than just the physical appearance. Um, for instance, to a man, sex is an act, an interlude. To a woman, Sex is involved in all of life. It is part of the drama of the relationship that she has with her husband. It is far more than just a passing interlude, an act. 
Now that that is a difference between a man. One is not right and one not wrong, and one wrong. It's it's the difference. To a man, sex is a strong physical drive accompanied with emotional needs. With a woman, sex is a strong meets a strong emotional need accompanied with physical needs. For a man, it is more important how often. For a woman, it is more important how, quality, rather than quantity. For a man, it is quick reaction to stimulation. To a woman, it is comparatively slow reaction to be stimulated. I'm going to put that in the vernacular in just a minute. To a man, he is stimulated pretty much by seeing. A woman is stimulated by touch and by tenderness. Now to take all of that and put it together and kind of condense it into something that I feel we can all identify with, it, it would go like this. A man is sort of like, when it comes to sex, a man is like an electric light bulb. You pull the chain or flip the switch and He's on. A woman is like an electric iron. You plug it in, turn it on, and it takes a few minutes to warm up. And the same thing is true when it's all over. A man is like an electric light bulb. You flip the switch and it's over. A woman, you unplug the iron, and it takes it a while to cool off. Now, guys, and I'm going to talk primarily to the men now, so you girls can either listen or do something else. That you need to take into consideration very, very seriously if you want to be a real lover. And I think the greatest admonition that I can give you today, men, is learn to be a lover. I mean that. Learn to be a lover. Now, the perfect mate for any man has been described as an angel in the home and a devil in bed. You can laugh at that if you want to. I don't mind at all. And the wonderful thing about it is that's exactly what she wants to be because she wants to please you. But you've got to learn how to turn up the temperature in such a way to make that happen. You've got to learn to be a lover. You've got to learn how to take her in your arms and make her feel the way she wants to feel. You need to take the time that it takes to make her feel the way so that she begins to respond to you. Now, I've talked to enough navigators to know that some navigators are lousy lovers, and they ought to be ashamed of themselves. Here's the story I hear. There is dissatisfaction and problems in the sex life of the couple, and I begin to talk to the guy, and I say, well, 
what do you do? How do you go about this? What's your approach? He says, well, we go to bed, turn off the light. And I've been thinking about this for a while, and I reach over and take her in my arms, but for some reason or other, she doesn't seem to be ready. I said, well, buddy, you got problems, because that is no way to learn to be a lover, or that's no way to be a lover. See, a woman emotionally and mentally needs to get prepared for the sex act. And the further back in the course of the day that you begin to sow the seed that tonight we're really going to have some fun, the better off you are going to be that night and the more prepared she is going to be that night. So the thing that I feel that, that, or that I would advise you to, to begin to do if you haven't already done it, and I'm sure we could have some testimonies on this from some several of you, but I won't call on any volunteers. <laughs> Although I, although I threatened a couple of you earlier in the day, <laughs> is to begin to develop between the two of you some of these little coded messages that she knows what you mean when you say, when you start talking about tonight. And it, all it has to be is a little phrase, just a tip-off. And that begins to prepare her and her heart emotionally and stimulate her thinking in that regard. Then, instead of going to bed and turning out the light, which is about as unromantic a thing as I can think of, and then reaching over for her, get prepared. Prepare the setting. Make it a romantic scene. Now, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of difference to her whether it's total darkness or not, but it does to you, huh? Low lights, candle, the little blue bulb in the lamp or something like that, you know. Make sure that the setting is right, and you can help in this by setting the scene. What is it that really, what, what is it about her that really helps to turn you on? Now by that I mean, what can she wear that will really turn you on? Now we're all different on this score. Some guys like one thing, some guys like another, and I'm not going to go into all the lists of that. But. But she needs to know, guys, what it is that turns you on. I was talking to one of the staff guys recently, and uh, he says, you know, he says, uh, boy, those little baby doll nightgowns are just the thing. I, I don't know what there is about those, but every time I take a trip out of town, I, I gravitate toward the lingerie department of a department store someplace, and I pick up one of those little things and take it home. My wife, she's got dozens of them, but... <laughs> Now, baby doll nightgowns do nothing for me. And they may not for you, but there is something that does something for you. And she needs to know what it is. 
Now, probably the hardest part or the hardest hurdle to get over in doing something like that, especially for you newly married guys, is to walk into that department store, into the lingerie department, and, and actually walk up to the counter with a sober face and buy something. <laughs> You talk about a traumatic experience. That is one, isn't it? But I would really encourage you to do that type of thing. Buy for your wife what it is that you would like to have her wear. Now, for a few of you, it may be nothing. <laughs> it's cheaper that way. <laughs> Setting the scene. Sometimes we need to kind of let loose and let our imagination run. And um, a number of years ago, Carol and I came across an article. It was a little article that we cut out of a magazine and we loaned it to somebody and we've since lost it. And I wish that I had it because it was, uh, it was something that, that really uh, helped us in this area of our sex relationship with each other. And it had to do with the idea of pretending. And it gave a lot of ideas on how to do this. And if you've got any kind of a non-sanctified imagination, uh, you can think of all kinds of things that from time to time you, want, you may want to throw in just by way of, of putting a little more spice in it. Uh, let's see, we were reading an article the other day about this, this guy that, uh, oh yeah, it was, there was a couple that um, from time to time she would, she would babysit overnight for uh, another family and they were gone out of, out of town. And so that night the husband, he, instead of going home, he'd go over to the house where she was staying and you know, they were they pretended all kinds of things, brother. You walk into a strange house, strange bedroom, strange strange bed, you can you know, you can kind of let your imagination just run wild in a situation like that and uh, really have a lot of fun with your wife. <laughs> Here you are, up in these beautiful mountains. You're staying in a motel room. You're snowbound. You can't get out. What are you going to do? <laughs> well... <laughs> That's what I mean. There's some guys that just never get the point. <laughs> But from time to time, that is a very pleasant experience. But in all seriousness, guys, the responsibility falls on us in making this 
physical relationship with our wives, one that is beautiful and wonderful and uh, filled with great joy. See, the Lord gave us this. Uh, it's, it's so smutted up today and it's, it's so degraded and, and yet it's meant by the Lord to be such a tremendous experience and such a delightful thing and such a happy thing. And let's face it, there is nothing in the world like sex. I mean, there just isn't any other experience like it. And uh, God has given it to us to enjoy and to make the most of it and to really create a bond and a relationship that can exist between a man and a woman uh, that can exist in no other way. And so we need to learn to develop ourselves in capitalizing on this, and for the most part, the responsibility falls on us. Now, let me just comment on two or three misconceptions, and then I'm going to let Carol... Uh, speak to you wives. One of the reasons that I mentioned the other night this, this book, Fulfillment in Marriage, uh, as that I didn't particularly care for it, is because he is uh, somewhat idealistic and uh, he's a little bit syrupy for me, but idealistic more than anything else. And he mentions a few things in there particularly on his chapter on sex, that I heartily disagree with. And one of them is the misconception that I think a lot of married couples have that the climax in the physical relationship needs to come together. Now, this is an ideal to shoot for, but it should not be a disappointment if it does not happen very often. It can be enjoyed by both parties, even if it doesn't. And uh, that, that one thing I have found in talking to a lot of guys is, is something that can really bug a husband or a wife if they don't understand that you know, they haven't reached the epitome of all the ideals. The fact is, also, that it's not always the same. And we shouldn't expect it to be. There are some times when the physical relationship is, is uh, you know, it's just kind of ordinary. It's, it's nice. But there are other times when you almost go out the ceiling. And I think we ought to understand that. Another thing that, that I hope will result uh, from our talking about this together, and this is why we have done it, is that if you need, as a husband and wife, to talk about some of these things together, frankly and openly, that you will do it. That is the primary reason we did not break this thing up into husbands and wives, is because we want you to talk about it together. And if there are problems, or if there are things you don't understand, if there are things that, that he is doing, that you do not appreciate or like, if there are things that she is doing that you do not like, then you need to talk about this together and have this understanding with each other. Because only as you communicate on this level will you ever be able to develop to the fullest this tremendous thing that God has given us as a, as a man and a woman together.
Okay, uh, sweetheart, you got a few minutes left. Not very long ago, a staff wife said to me, not one that's here, how can we keep our marriage really exciting? That my husband and I love each other, and we, um, we have a good relationship, but frankly, she said, it's kind of dull. So what can we do about really keeping our marriage relationship exciting? Well, as we talked further, she revealed to me that um, she felt this excitement would just, if two people loved each other, um, it ought to just come. You shouldn't have to work at it. And uh, obviously, the two kinds of love that Jack was talking about, the romantic kind and the deep kind, both you work at. And this exciting um, fun, fulfilling, emotional kind of love needs to be worked at. Now, of course, you're not feeling terribly romantic when your husband has the mumps and he's got three days of growth of, growth of beard and, and you're taking care of him. You know, you're not feeling terribly romantic. And that kind of love uh, sort of simmers down. Well, how can you really keep your marriage exciting? As we talked about it, we, she realized that a lot of the little things in their marriage, they'd stop doing. They'd stop dating. She'd stopped really greeting him at the door and making him feel special. They'd stopped really talking about fun things. But primarily, this kind of relationship bases in the physical. If you don't have an exciting sex life, you're not going to have a real excitement in your marriage. A lot of little jokes, little husband and wife jokes, center around this. And there are a lot of things that we do or don't do wrongly, and therefore do not keep this aspect of our relationship exciting. The thing that's so great about Scripture and and the Bible is that it has so many answers along this line, too. And you know, a lot of husbands and wives don't realize that they can really pray about this area. They're almost ashamed to pray about this area. God created this. The most beautiful way of expressing sexual union in the Bible is he knew her. I think that's gorgeous. He knew her. Sex ought to be total communication of body, soul, and spirit. He knew her. No other way can be so beautiful and so wonderful and, yes, so fun. One summer, four different wives came to me, mature Christians, with four different problems that at that time I thought were kind of far out. I thought, what is happening <laughs> to me? These were the problems. One of them was far out. One wife said to me, my husband hasn't come near me in four years. Another wife said to me, I'm repulsed by my husband. 
I can't stand to have him come near me. He was a little overweight. She said that that was the reason. It was not. Another wife said to me, I am so embarrassed that I can't stand to even undress in the same room as my husband. And another one said, we've been married several years and I have never achieved a climax. I discovered in further counseling with numbers, and by the way, the reason we're discussing this so openly is because this is a very, very needed area in your counseling of other couples. I trust that you aren't having these problems, most of you. But many, many couples are, and if you are willing just to drop a hint, you'll be surprised what, that you're willing to talk about it, you'll be surprised what people will tell you and needed things that they need help on and they don't know where to go to get it. And the Bible has such beautiful answers. In the first place, of course, a lot of wives have hang-ups from their background. A lot of husbands do too. And uh, they, don't, they feel if they let themselves go, that's sin. That they shouldn't really enjoy it. That if they really have fun and really get carried away, oh wow, that's mortal sin. Really. I've had wives tell me that. And we've got to realize the beautiful thing that God made marriage. God made sex. And of course we know this from Scripture, and I'm not going to go into that Scripture, but let me read you 1 Corinthians 7 in the Phillips. And you're familiar with it, but I want you to see how these four things are answered just from this portion of Scripture. If they would pray about it, if they would really let the Lord do a work in their life. And it says this, the husband should give his wife what is due to her as his wife. That's the answer to, my husband hasn't come near me in four years. He is to give her what is due to her as his wife. And he needs to pray about that if he's a Christian. And the wife should be as fair to her husband. The wife has no longer full rights over her own person. See, they're, they're one. And when she has no longer full rights over her person, as he doesn't have over his person, well, they should be perfectly free with each other. There's no reason that a wife should feel embarrassed about undressing in front of her husband. There's no reason that, that he, should be, she, he should repulse her. As God takes a hold of this part of their lives. The wife has no longer full rights over her own person, but shares them with her husband. In the same way, the husband shares his personal rights with his wife. Do not cheat each other of normal sexual intercourse, unless, of course, you both decide to abstain temporarily to make special opportunity for fasting and prayer. But afterward, you should resume relations as before, or you will expose yourself to the obvious temptation of the devil. Now you couple this with Matthew 18:7, where it says, for it, is a, uh, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the man or woman by whom the temptations come. And to me this is saying, gals, if you aren't really satisfying your husband in these areas, and temptation comes because of it, will be to you. And the same to the husband. A lot of wives, maybe husbands I trust aren't as guilty as this, 
But wives sometimes punish husbands by withholding yourselves from them. Now sometimes you do this subconsciously. You know, they haven't treated you right that day. And, uh, and they haven't built up to it, as Jack said, was, is a good thing to do, and it certainly is. And so you've suddenly got a headache, or you're too tired, or something. And unconsciously sometimes, you're, you're punishing them for the way they have not treated you, or have treated you wrongly. And you know what we see so often, and oh, don't let this happen, and don't let it happen to those you're working with, is that here, maybe in the first years of marriage, you have built a beautiful little core of this sexual relationship. But then some of these peripheral things, the irritations and the pressures of life, begin to uh, get to you, and your relationship kind of isn't as good as it could be. And so what the wife does lots of times is let that affect the sex life. And that, in turn, affects this, and this gets worse. And then this gets worse, and this gets worse, and the whole thing blows up. Now, I grant you that it's only by the grace of God that you're going to not allow that to happen. It's very hard for a wife to turn on men uh, in bed when everything else has gone wrong during the day. Very hard. But if she can do that, and you can have this beautiful relationship here and really communicate, he knew her, then out of that, lots of times, these things start to dissolve. And it starts to go out this way in a very wonderful way. So we need to really work at this central little core of our physical relationship together. Now, let me quote a little bit more of what Jack quoted a little bit of in Charlie Shedd's letters to Karen. He says on sex, but from the marriages I have seen in consultation, it is apparent that how often usually matters most to the man, and the how-to is most important to the woman. Yet, no matter the frequency, the main thing is to come to it joyfully. There will be no exception to this rule, wife. You are a prudent wife when you look on sex in part as your opportunity to be a blessing to your husband. The tender woman trains herself to receive a great measure of contentment just from contenting her man. Now, Jack mentioned that the climax varies a great deal, and it is especially true men with women. It's just because of our monthly cycle. I mean, you can do exactly the same thing in exactly the same way, and we will have two exactly different reactions. It's always great. But women, you need to understand this. So you don't have this great burst of going through the ceiling. You've had a love feast with your sweetheart. That's great. And you train yourself as Charlie Shedd says, to receive a great measure of contentment just from contenting him. One woman said that sex problems are usually, and she used the word 100%, I'd, I'm going to stop quoting statistics. Um, <laughs> but she says that sexual problems are 100% spiritual. 
And I kind of questioned that as I heard this. But as I got to thinking about it, a great much of it is, is selfish, selfishness on our part. And you see, it's, it's never anything that God can't resolve. It's never anything we can't really pray about and take to him. Take to him together. And by the way, if you have a hard time communicating in this area, and Jack said this is our whole purpose in having this together, is so that you begin to communicate. Why read a book together like Sexual Happiness in Marriage? Force yourself to if you have to read a chapter a night. Together, out loud. So that you will get used to saying the words to each other. And perhaps that way you would be break down some of these barriers that you have about communicating in this area. And then he says from a chapter called The Saint and the Sweet Little Sinner. The perfect mate for any man has been described as an angel in the home and a devil in bed. But the wives I have known who could qualify for such an accolade are in the minority. I see their opposite often in consultation. Some of them proudly announce, I never refused him. They remind me of hopeful heroes waiting in line for the Purple Heart. (laughs) Actually, that might be the worst thing you could say about your marriage. And then get this. And you, you men and women talk about this. Any man gets weary if he must always make the first move. Now, maybe you, husband, are an exception to this. And if so, you better let your wife know. But if you're not, let her know that too. Any man gets weary if he must always make the first move. So let's start with this, and I'll give you a few pointers, you wives. I'm becoming the saintly little demon who can keep her man the kind of man she wants him to be. And its first point is be sexually aggressive some of the time. Never forget that a husband wants to be wanted. Your husband longs to believe that he's wonderful enough for you to yearn sometimes for his sexual companionship. It matters everything to a man if he has a home where he knows he is of inestimable value as a man. Your husband can stand much more in the rough and tumble of a cutthroat world if you have convinced him that there is a waiting emotional center where he is vitally important. And then, of course, he goes on to say things that you can read in any book. Don't be afraid of experiment and variety. Sex ought to be fun. It ought to be the highest variety of fun. And then talking about keeping your body alluring and so on. And let me make a a footnote of what Jack was saying on just how you dress and things like that. You know, if if you men can get in the habit of communicating the way Jack was saying, at least a couple hours beforehand, it's tremendous, and I've talked to women about that, how um, it, it helps prepare us emotionally to be able to get cleaned up, to be able to put on something sexy, if I can use that word, and, uh, and to just, it gets us emotionally prepared. And we need this. Some, uh, a bride came to me, a six-month bride one time, and said, how come... Um, Six months after I'm married, it's taking me so much longer to really get emotionally ready for sex than it did on my honeymoon. And so this was really quite a concern to her. And I said, well, bless your heart. On your honeymoon, you were running 60% high uh, all along. I mean, that's what you were there for. And so, of course, you were emotionally ready. 
that six months later, you begin at zilch emotionally. And you've had a hard day, and you've worked hard, and you've been thinking about everything else under the sun. And you're ready, and here he's ready, and he reaches for you, and you know, you're just about as dead emotionally as you could possibly be. And of course, it's going to take you a lot longer. And then you know what happens? He doesn't realize that, and you're tired. And so you start pretending. And you start pretending that you are emotionally ready. And he doesn't know the difference. And that pretense, gals, can go on and on and on until your sex life is nothing but one big pretense. I've seen this happen over and over. So fellas, don't take your wise ground. You may have to start all over again. Or some of the couples that you're working with may have to start right back there again to start building responses. Because these are responses that are built. And uh, so work at it. Well, to close. Someone has said that love is a supreme effort to escape from the prison of our aloneness. To seek completeness for our incompleteness to trade our isolation for companionship. The fellows and girls, ladies and wives and husbands, we need expect no perfect marriage since there are no perfect people. Nor can we even hope for an ideal marriage since none of us is an ideal person. We cannot demand that another person gratify all of our needs for no one person can ever be expected to satisfy all of our variable needs. And I think that I want to end with this. We've talked a lot about marriage. And we've talked about fulfilling each other's needs. But let's never forget that God ultimately is the only one that's going to really fulfill all your needs. And I've seen husbands and wives try to demand of marriage things that God never meant. For marriage to be. You know, there really is a God-shaped vacuum in every human heart which only God can fill. And we never, we should never expect our sweethearts to fulfill our lives. It'll be a marvelous part. But God is the only one. And God is fabulous. So is my wife. Thank you, honey. I think the thing that we have tried to communicate is that it takes work in a marriage relationship to understand one another, the differences between men and women. It takes work in a marriage relationship to communicate with each other. This is something that we have to work at continually. And it takes work and imagination to make the physical relationship a continually exciting and thrilling thing. Charlie Shedd in his book calls, entitles the chapter in which he deals with this, the 20-year warm-up. And uh, Carol and I have been married for 23 years now. And I think that uh, I would name the chapter the 30-year warm-up because it gets better all the time. Our relationship has grown 
in every one of these areas that we have talked about. And it gets more exciting and more... Uh, uh, we anticipate the continued new things that we're, we're learning all the time. And uh, so we just appreciate the opportunity that you have given to us as non-experts in uh, this field because we've only had 23 years at it now and we feel we're still learning. And I mean that very sincerely as non-experts to give us the opportunity to share with you some of these things. And um, uh, it's been an experiment and we have learned some things these last two days. I must say that I'm glad it's over. <laughs> but uh, it's been fun, and we've appreciated the opportunity. If a couple of you guys could take these two little boxes of things and uh, just hand them out. Um, maybe we could take, uh, oh, just a few minutes for any questions.